and uh, welcome to the first episode of the um, Just Natural Africa podcast, which uh, looks into understanding and bringing forth the different perspectives from the African youth narrative with regards to protected and conserved areas. And uh, in the first episode, we have in the in the first episode is uh, Zachary Petty, who is a wildlife biologist from Kenya, and of course a researcher. So Zach will be sharing um, his insights and his perspective with us with regards to the theme on uh, of protected areas, a sustainable future for Africa. Uh, welcome, Zach, and I uh, would like to know more about you, uh, your names, where you're from, and uh, you know, current role and affiliations. Yeah. So thank you so much, Aita. It's a privilege to be here talking about protected areas and conservation in Africa as young change makers. So my name is Zakaria Mutinda Muteti. I'm Kenyan, born in Eastern Kenya. Then currently um, I'm a master student in Karachina University, Kenya, doing a master of science in environmental studies. Uh, I am also affiliated with Save the Elephants one of the leading elephant research organizations in East Africa. And I am doing a study on human elephant interactions in the southern part of Kenya. So those are my affiliations, Karatina University and Save the Elephants. Definitely, yeah. And I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks so much, Zach, for the brief intro. And uh, a number of times when people get into spaces that actually lead to their professional career, we tend to understand that sometimes there's an inspiration behind that. And uh, right now, we'd be keen to really know like your background and uh, the roadmap into the conservation space. What inspired you to take action for conservation and what made you pick actually interest? And I would like to really know how know this your story from the perspective of an African youth on African, actually. So, um, Zach, would you? Uh, thank you. So, uh, under my graduate, in my undergraduate, I had the privilege to interact with some of the best biologists in Kenya. I also learned that most of wildlife managers in that university or elsewhere in Kenya were trained from the same university. From then, it sparked a keen interest on my side of ornithology and mammalogy. I started to love bird watching where I did bird watching every day. Every... After that, I was in my third year in three years and I joined Mara Elephant Project where we were doing human elephant conflict, spent four months in the field. Every day, every night, interacting with elephants, visiting raided crop farms and talking to these farmers on how they can try to solve the conflict issue it was then I realized that the conflict was not coming to an end. It was going to be there for the next hundred years. It was going to be there for millennia. I also came to realize that we are the people who are pushing the conflict. Elephants were here before us, and we are the people who are moving into their previously protected areas or previously their rangelands. Being wide ranging mammals, these guys can move from a place and they can go for around two years before they can make a return. By the time they are returning, it's already farmed. And these animals need food and they also need space also to rear their young ones. 
So I developed a close interest in understanding the situation between humans and elephants. That's when I realized that there is a, a big problem. There is a sense of conflict where humans feel threatened and they perceive that as a risk, while also elephants are also facing great challenge from the humans. Now elephants viewing humans as enemies due to the poaching pressure which existed from the 1970s all the way to the 1990s. That's how I got to develop a keen interest in human-wildlife interaction. And currently I'm doing the same. I've done it since I finished my school and I'm currently doing a project to understand the same. And I plan to spend the rest of my life understanding human-wildlife interaction, specifically human-elephant interactions. Thank you. Thanks so much, Zach. So it's really interesting to hear about your journey, your story, and your background. And uh, now, in the context of Africa, we we are caught up in a situation whereby humans and wildlife tend to really cross paths often, and that really is a very is a very serious risk and a threat. Uh, but then, across Africa, we understand that uh, protected and conserved areas we have quite a number of them, thousands actually. But then these account for just 7% of 7% uh, of the total land mass in Africa. That's about 7% of 30.37 square million 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 square miles, and that's that's square kilometers, and that's really quite challenging because we're in a situation whereby Africa's population is really fast shooting. So uh, I would be keen to would be keen to really know what you understand with by protected and conserved areas and how this actually comes up in your local context. So. Thank you for that question. And it's a very interesting question. Looking at the scenario we have in Kenya, we have around 52 protected areas, 28 national parks and around 24 national reserves or thereabout. Those are our estimates. And to me, a protected area is one that is either gazetted or ungazetted, and it's marked or demarcated from active human utilization. We could have like seasonal utilization. We can have people allowed into a forest at some time of the year to collect firewood, to collect fruits and gather medicine and honey and so on and so forth. For instance, such areas where limited human activities allowed in our country, we call them national reserves. We also have game reserves where it's open rangeland where people live, there is wildlife and they live in harmony. A good example is the Laikipia Plains where we have the Maasai, the Samburu, and also part of Narrow County and Kajiado, where people have their livestock and they interact with wildlife every day. They are sharing rivers, sharing water, water collection points with wildlife. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing interaction. That's not a protected area, but it's, it's, it's ideally recognized as an important protection in an important area for conservation. So we have conservation effort in that area. So we also have the other category of our protected area in my country. We have national parks, which are basically under the national government. And these are strictly restricted areas where there is limited human interference. For instance, you cannot take your livestock into the park. You cannot go collect firewood in the park. You can't go in the park for the protection of natural resources, not basically wildlife. We could have water, 
wildlife, forests, and so on and so forth. They could be sanctuaries, they could be national parks, they could be conservancies, they could be ranches. I, I, under my, under my opinion, I believe that a protected area is any part that, that's kept from extreme degradation by humans. And that's for the protection of the future generation so that our great grandchildren will have it. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for that. So uh, I think you've really given a very contextual, some contextual information on what PAs and CAs mean from your local context. By then we understand that while humans and uh, wildlife are coexisting, as you said, there are, still, there are challenges that keep coming up. Challenges that might be between the humans and uh, the animal and the wildlife, and of course, challenges that are actually coming up as a result of striking the balance between human and wildlife coexistence or nature coexistence in this case. So, what are some of the challenges actually you've faced during your interactions, during your work, and uh, as such uh, within uh, some of these PAs and CAs you've engaged with? Oh, amazing. It's a very beautiful question to look at with the, with the current trend of things globally and in this era that we are currently calling the Anthropocene, which is dominated by the human being. So currently we have major problems in our protect, protected areas and conservation areas, which are surrounded by human communities. In the, in the local context for Kenya, you realize that only 25% of our wildlife is within protected and conservation areas. 70 to 75% roams in community lands, which are either reserves or farmlands or villages and so on and so forth. So the biggest problem that we face as a country is the growing human population. It's, it's putting a lot of pressure on natural resources and on wildlife spaces. So human beings, as their numbers grow, they need space. They need space to cultivate, to produce their food. They need space to construct. They need space to put their livestock. And when you are doing this, you realize that livestock are the biggest emitters of, of these global warming gases. For instance, methane, much of methane is from livestock. And you realize that in Northern Kenya, we have so much livestock, thousands, almost millions of sheep, cattle, camels, and donkeys. So with such livestock and changing land uses, the human being is putting so much pressure on natural resources that initially were basically utilized by wildlife and other, and other, other species that existed in space. So another problem that we have is the breakage of protected and conservation areas. We have mega infrastructure having this north road, the northern cross crossroad. We also have the road that's from South Africa all the way to, to Egypt. You realize that that road cuts across so many protected areas. In Kenya, we have a bigger problem where we have a road that split Savo National Park, which was the largest protected area, spanning 42,000 square kilometers. It's now split into two. It wasn't the situation we have, uh, a mega project that has been erected over the past seven years, which is the standard gauge railway, which definitely affected animal movement 
where we have lockage of genes can no longer mate. They are with all these growing infrastructure when wildlife are moving from one point to another. We have cases of road kills. Trucks hit elephants, trucks hit giraffes. We also have infrastructure such as the pylons, the power lines. They have been known to struck down migratory birds. Some of them struck down our local birds, such as the vultures. We have losses of giraffes. A case scenario we have in Kenya is the Soisam Conservancy or the central region in Naivasha, where over the past four years, we have had more than six giraffes electrocuted by electricity pylons. It's really disturbing and it's not the best scenario. Another problem is the expansion of agricultural land. Land uses, we have a lot of problems with the future of wildlife in our protected areas. Thank you. Thanks so much, Zach. Uh, we understand that our, with some of the challenges you have actually put across, these are just like a hint or a glimpse into them. But there are definitely uh, are a number of them or more. And uh, we'd just like to understand now, with these challenges, like describe an ideal natural world, an ideal community you intend to see or you would like to live in, uh, perhaps one that uh, encompasses this whole concept of uh, living in harmony with nature, uh, like drawing back to your own story and the work you actually do within the wildlife or nature conservation space. So an ideal protected area or an ideal conservation of these species resources is not about to be realized in the near future because wildlife that's coming will never exist. There will always be a trade-off where we have infrastructural development and we have human advancement of technology and all these big technological advancements. So wildlife and natural resources will always be in jeopardy but how can we even make it better? I think the best way we can try to adapt and coexist in this space is by adopting naturally viable income generating activities at all levels. Then we can have proper management systems and we can also have controlled land use progression from time to time. This is the only way we can be able to have wildlife and human and okay uh thanks so much thanks so much zach so uh it's actually it's quite challenging because for a case of africa where the populations are really shooting and as you said achieving that harmony is really very difficult and uh now we just like to understand in a quick glimpse what steps like some of the things you're doing like uh or some of like some of the steps you're actually taking to help achieve some of the dreams or aspirations we did mention previously just like give us a quick hint and then yeah so some of the things that we are doing not individually but as teams conservation groups and researchers is first train and equip people with knowledge and skills on how best to live in harmony with these resources. For instance, we are encouraging people to adopt use of green energy. We can have solar energy. We are encouraging people to practice nature-friendly 
agriculture, for instance, we encourage people to do a lot of aquaculture, especially communities that live near water bodies or permanently rivers. We are also trying to discourage crop farming in areas that border protected areas as parks, reserves, and important bad areas. We try to encourage these communities to adopt in incentives and initiatives such as tree nursery rearing. We can also encourage them to do poultry farming. We encourage these communities to practice a lot of beekeeping, which is viable. And also with the recurring climate change and 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 unpredictability of the rains we are discouraging communities from relying on one source of income we are also trying to train communities on how to adopt hand skills for instance making of basketry ecotourism infrastructure and encouraging these communities to sustainably utilize their local resources and also we train these people how to best mitigate conflict incidences not to retaliate and kill wildlife Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Zach. So as you've actually said, uh, these are challenges that happen each and every day. And uh, like yourself, there are possibly a number of young people out there, young Africans who are trying to really envision the same as you do. So your voice is like uh, one in a million, <laughs> I should say, that's trying to the same the, the same message. But then what particular message would you like to give to young Africans out there, perhaps those who are already trying to make change within the broader uh, conservation space, uh, PAs, CAs, those who actually envision but perhaps are not taking the bold steps, and also those who are out there perhaps in other different sectors that do, I, I would call it, watch from a distance. So what brief uh, word or advice do you have for them in a minute? So I'm, I'm also a young person. Um, also, I believe I'm a change maker. I also believe in working in integration with older persons who are more experienced. And also I believe in working in an interdisciplinary, more experienced persons who can involve research, who can involve indigenous knowledge, and we can involve all young people in the society, including students and teachers. My word would preferably go to young children that whatever they see in their surrounding is totally to their benefit. It's not to their detrimental. And by adopt, adoption of friendly life, life, livelihood options that are sustainable, they can still make it big. They can maximize the resources they have. They can reap big from ecotourism facilities. They can reap big from aquaculture with proper training and that the future looks good and we will have our resources intact if we sustainably utilize them. Thank you. Thanks so much, Zach. So I think those are really very powerful words. Uh, we are quite a number of young people right now and we have even more younger people coming after us. So definitely this is the perfect message for any other younger people, I should say. Uh, so right now, I want you to think about something, uh, something that uh, perhaps you don't want to see happening on your watch, like while you are watching, uh, taking, uh, taking instance that you are already within this conservation space. So what wouldn't you like to see changing? What will you absolutely try your best not to allow to happen on your watch just during your lifetime? So with this particular section, you will start by replying with, on my watch, then you mention what you would like, uh, you wouldn't like to happen. Yeah. 
Thank you. So on my watch, I wouldn't like to see increasing dire consequences of climate change and desertification. Definitely, I don't want to see further increase of livestock in these semi-arid areas. The numbers are just huge enough. Okay, uh, thanks so much for those really great insights. And I think they've been so much informative and educative as well. And uh, Zach, Zach Muteti Mutinda is from Kenya and uh, he shares his experience as a young person navigating the conservation space. So uh, thank you so much, Zach, and uh, have, a great, have a great time. Thank you, Aita. It was a pleasure talking on your podcast and I'm more privileged to be working with you in future. And I look forward to future collaborations on the same. Thank you so much.